0: uh this is john stepling this is uh aesthetic resistance podcast number 70. uh <laughs> with me uh in, from long island hiroyuki hamada hi, hi john Turkey. uh in toronto Corey morningstar hi Corey. hi uh in uh new delhi i believe Varun mather hello and uh Rob Snyder from uh, the south of Sweden. Hi, Rob. Hey, John. And Johan Edibo <clears throat> from the north of Sweden. Hi, Johan. Good evening, everyone. Hi. So uh, it's been actually, I just checked, 17 days uh, since the last uh, <coughs> podcast. So it's a little, a little uh, less time has elapsed than than we often allow uh a few things i mean i know we have a, a number of topics to talk about um uh, but uh i wanted to mention something that that struck me this week uh, because maybe because i i was listening to to other podcasts i kind of wanted to do a, a survey and there's <clears throat> a lot of really good people speaking up and and um critiquing the situation regards um, you know state policy regards um, the us NATO Russia conflict um, the the and certainly the fallout from uh, the vaccine the vaccine program um, and and we have a lot of stuff to, to say about that but one of the things that that is most striking even in in uh, even from sources that are, are relatively uh, um, <clears throat> smart and and um, and critical, skeptical, uh, there there remains this strange Russophobia. I mean, it it runs very deep in the West, and uh, there's a lot of reasons for it. And I don't want to get into a a you know a terribly long a discussion about it, but even sources that are, that understand that it is US NATO aggression that is in play here. This is, was a proxy war to target Russia, the goals regime change in Moscow. Um, there's, there's a, there remains a, a strange distrust, of Russia and and the history of this is really interesting. I will I will provide some links. There's been some different people historians have written about this, uh, but it but it is remarkable and and certainly Hollywood and and popular media uh, have gone into overdrive. If, if you watch um, new shows, it's it's really quite startling because now. The the new seasons are, you know, about to begin. Some of them, some of the shows have have started, Uh, and the villain is now Russia. It's it has it has switched from uh, Muslims and Chinese even to Russia. Russia is the villain de jour, and uh, uh, it is startling to see this stuff. I mean, it's funny because I was watching all kinds of stuff this week, and I watched a show that was several years old. <clears throat> um, that was one, because I, I kind of check in on these franchises and the, and the Criminal Minds franchise, which has been exported to, to South America, to China, to Hong Kong. I mean, India, there's versions of this show everywhere. Um, and, uh, but, but the, the, there was one that was a spinoff, called Criminal Minds Beyond Borders about um, a fictional, needless to say, FBI unit that that travels the world on a massive private jet, um, uh, leaving a huge carbon footprint, no doubt, um, on this private jet to rescue Americans um, who are in danger, as if the United States government cared about Americans in danger, but anyway. um, But they went to Cuba and it was just I mean, it was, you should almost watch it. It's, it was hysterically funny, actually. But the, the, the climax included a short speech by, by Gary Sinise, who's a deeply reactionary guy in real life. Um, and uh, he said, well, because somebody walked by and said something about Che Guevara. And Sunisi said, ah, the greatest propaganda campaign in the history of the world. Fidel's right-hand thug, a man who tortured and murdered millions of people. And I thought, he he tortured and murdered the entire population of Cuba? I mean, (laughs) it's so insane that this stuff you know that writers write this although probably Sunisi wrote that but but the point is that's an extreme example but that's the level at which this propaganda is is disseminated all the time in a 24 7 stream it goes on constantly uh and you you look at the the propaganda surrounding the russia ukraine conflict <clears throat> and this is really part of this rewriting of history, too. I mean, um, we've, we've seen the Vietnam War, the revisionist documentaries about the Vietnam War now. We're seeing that rewritten. We're seeing virtually everything rewritten. It's part of this unreality campaign. And, and um, the history of the Second World War is certainly being <clears throat> uh, rewritten. And and part of the discussions of Ukraine and the, the, the painting of this as Russian imperialism and Russian aggression and so forth um, is just another is just another example of, of this revisionism. Part of it is to, um, there was a quote, a mem going around of an old Soviet general who said, we stopped fascism and Europe will never forgive us for it. Um, which, is a, which is a great observation um, because it's true. And uh, part of the revisionism in terms of Ukraine and Russia is the rehabilitation of fascism, of course. Um, although I think there is a Zelensky fatigue setting in for people now, um, the level of corruption and, and um, <clears throat> Zelensky's shutting down of opposition parties imprisoning opposition leaders uh it, you know is it's getting hard to hide at this point but so he may be in for his own regime change at a certain point but um it doesn't matter the the rewriting of history will continue in this so when we're done when we have i want to read something at the very end of this podcast for you apropos of this okay um johan do you want to start you had a sure, bunch okay, of I
1: things can, i can start you talk off about. You wanted some some numbers, I seem to recall, because we spoke about how there are now data surfacing regarding a correlation between net excess mortality and the the mass vaccinations, uh, which, of course, we we knew all about that, but now now hard data seem to be irrefutable hard data seem to be surfacing. I can point you uh, off to uh, a guy named Igor Chudov and his substack he he's made a use of something called the human mortality database it's a public database with international inf- information on various countries and, and the numbers pertaining to uh, to short term mortality fluctuations he's been using and and uh, there the, the, there's a clear correlation in mortality data between excess mortality and, and vaccinations but of course, that's just like low-level general correlations. So, so there are a lot of potential confounding v- variables here. So, so we need uh, b- b- support in terms of of uh, causal mechanics here. But uh, you know, there are lots of studies in that regard as well. And a, and a recent paper on Thailand came out, I think, a few weeks back, which. Uh, which showed that three and a half percent of previously healthy young boys actually presented with the, with evidence of the, of the heart muscle injury after the vaccinations, which is actually quite astonishing. I mean, that's like tens of thousands of a percent higher than than the, the normal background level. There, there's another paper though uh, on Germany on the, the correlation between the mass vaccinations and excess mortality by by two guys who uh, goes by the name of Christoph Kobanna and Matthias Reitner, uh, who's made uh, I'll make sure you link this paper at the, the end of the podcast or something, because they, they've shown that there's a very tight correlation between the production uh, of the mass vaccinations and uh, excess mortality. Uh, st- astonishingly, or, or for some weird reason, Sweden is the outlier and it does not seem to show any any correlation between excess mortality and vaccinations here. But almost every other region and country does. It seems.
0: Um, <clears throat> yeah, I I had seen that paper and we'll, we will link it. Um, and and of course, this is stuff that because there's a number of other. Um, um articles and and studies that are that are surfacing but all of them are predictably invisible in mainstream media uh, yeah which which of course is is you know one of the topics we talk about every week i think uh, the the stranglehold that uh a very few uh very large and well-funded corporations have on uh on media, I, you know, it's it's um, extraordinary, uh, and and again, apropos of the the, the Russia Ukraine thing, look at look at the coverage of that. But but the coverage of of the fallout from from the pandemic, not just the correlation between excess um, <clears throat> death numbers and 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 vaccination, but but all the implications for uh, um, the, the psychological harm done to especially children over this two-year period, the, the kind of retail apocalypse that took place in the U.S., uh, the, the, all the small mom-and-pop stores that, that were bought up by big corporations. Uh, and and uh, it, it just is never talked about. I mean, there are a few isolated op-eds that That nobody reads and uh that's about it if you if you turn on the evening news i mean i very rarely watch television news but if you turn on cnn or msnbc i mean it's just extraordinary it's just extraordinary um it's and and this is what's very hard to talk to people who don't exhibit any skepticism towards media who accept the authority of powerful media uh there is this built-in belief that if you have millions millions of viewers there is somehow Mm. an oversight a a deity somewhere (laughs) that provides oversight um and and would stop them from you know outright lying and of course what they do is outright lie all the time anyway um corey did you
2: where to begin? Okay, yeah. so, um, okay, hang on. Do you want me to talk about the the defib- defibrillator market?
0: Um, you can talk about anything you want.
2: Okay, maybe I'll touch on that right now. Um, yeah. So there's just I just quickly um, was looking at some stuff this week and last. Um, basically, in the UK, they announced. This month, <laughs> hang
0: on, John. Someone else can go ahead because it just got
1: really noisy here. So, someone else, go ahead. Okay, uh, Johan, did you? Yeah, sure. I just to to keep on where where we were before. Just just uh, there there seems to be a um, remarkable inc- uh, uh, an increase in the incidence of cancers, uh, also uh, way above. Uh, Normal, normal levels according to to the statistics, uh, and I think I spoke to Varun about this. And this is of course very unscientific, but it seems that in in my own private circle, there are w- much more cancer reports of cancer than i I'm, I'm accustomed to. Uh, is this something you guys can recognize around you?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Go uh, ahead, Varun.
3: It's happening suddenly, everybody's talking about this. And then um, some of the circles that I've been hanging out with over the last few months, they've started coming back to me because I've been harping on about this for two years. now they're suddenly coming back to me and saying, man, it, it sounded like you were right because now suddenly I'm hearing of all these famous and everyday people who are suddenly very ill or who are dying very healthy people who've taken the second shot or the third shot and they're suddenly, either they've got, I mean, yeah, I've got two friends who've come to me saying that multiple people in their circles have now suddenly been diagnosed with cancer. So it's, and I think we were talking about this even last year to say that it's gonna be really painful to watch this happen. And it is really painful to watch this happen because it's on such a slow, it's just slowly evolving and it's really, it's really debilitating to be in that situation all the time where you're continuously watching this. And for example, I was, I was hanging out with two of my childhood friends and they've both taken the shots and they're both planning to take the boosters. Both of them have said that they've got quote unquote COVID after the second shot and they can't wait to take the boosters. One of them nearly died because he went up to the mountains and his blood started coagulating. And it's impossible to talk to them and to say that man, like it's the fucking shots, man. It's not it's nothing else. So uh, the the filters and the and the and the blindness to what's going on is extremely frustrating. It's extremely frustrating. I don't I really don't know what to do.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> um it is frustrating and it's I have no strategy for it. I mean I think it's it's um uh this is again. This is again the the very most difficult um, uh, strategic uh, question that that confronts all of us. I suppose um, anybody who who is starting to become skeptical or worrisome. I mean, there's there. I think Norway, like Sweden, has is is um, something of an anomaly. I've not heard of any excess death here, but it's such a small country that. That <clears throat> numbers are um, are are kind of skewed because of the entire population is only five million people in the entire country. Um, but but uh, you know you read news reports daily of of young people dropping dead uh, or or athletes suddenly unable to continue. They've all been vaccinated. Uh, it's always blamed on on COVID, oh, it's long COVID, it's something COVID. Okay, Uh, uh, even if that were true, even if all of these athletes who, or, you know, whoever, nightclub comics, I've seen all of these people who will suddenly, literally just stop dead in their tracks and fall on their face dead. And there's a number of of videos of this happening this is quite unusual. I mean, I don't remember that people used to stop in the middle of telling jokes and drop dead, stone dead in an instant. Uh, and it's interesting because there's been a number of them. I mean, there's, you know, we're, we're talking a dozen, 25 something in that territory. Uh, if you're including athletes more than that, uh, why is there not more publicity about the sudden dropping stone dead syndrome blame it on what you want you you know if you're going to blame it on covid okay um you know i'm i'm listening but but there's not even that there's no discussion at all the discussion has been squashed uh it's just it's just i think you know the message whatever the mechanisms are by which um you know newscasters and and and, um you know, media empires, CNN, whoever, uh, whatever the mechanisms are by which they are told, here's, you know, stay on message uh, and and don't don't open that can of worms because uh, there are too many, you know, there <laughs> are too many potential problems if mm. if we if we start discussing this. So so it's not discussed and it's very it's very strange. Um, and that raises another thing I want to talk about here, and then Johann, you know, return to you or Corey or whoever. Um, uh, and that is one of the big new topics has been that people are suddenly waking up to the fact that that censorship has gone into overdrive, that all the major search engines um, have changed, that it's increasingly hard to find old papers it's increasingly hard to find leftist sites and dissenting sites and it's just difficult to find anything and i find this curious phenomenon of typing in i don't know you know whatever and then getting a whole bunch of results that are almost unrelated i i, I can't figure out what how that algorithm gave me what it gave me because it, it was not even remotely close to my mind. So um, that's, but these things are all related, I think. This is this, this whole fabric of, um, as we say, unreality. So, um, and and Zoom has this new protocol that um, makes it very hard for me to see all of you at, at once. Anyway, um, is, is Corey, back
2: or does anybody yeah, else right want to okay so i'm okay. right here so um i just want to touch up on this um speaking of people dropping dead um so august 3rd 2022 given yeah, i there's a news release that the global defibrillator market size was valued at 11.3 billion in 2021 i'm not sure what it was valued at um, prior to that say perhaps in 2019 um anyway it's predicted to reach 21, um, 21 billion by 2030. So that's doubling in size. And then there's just articles that sort of coincide with this at the same time. Um, there's a press release from last month in the UK on the government UK website. Every school will have a life saving deferred um, later by 20, 2022, 2023. I'm just going to call them on BFIDS to save time it says stumbling over it, that word um there's another one here in india um they're putting they're putting on um, the deep the defib monitors in metro stations at their busiest stations in india <laughs> um where else here we are the uk um oh here we are in vancouver in canada they're putting 1,000 of the monitors throughout the city. Um, they're teaching children in school now how to use these. Um, again, this is uh, BC. They've introduced the bill making the monitors mandatory in public buildings. They're going to become mandatory um, um, Mandatory there. So it's just all of a sudden this huge surge in what now is a new market, right, around the mm-hmm. um, around this. And then at the same time, this coincides with just scores and scores of articles about rare heart problems following the vaccinations and just um, heart problems in general, um, heart, heart heart attacks. Um, what is this one? Hang on here. This is a good one. On the cardiac rhythm news guidelines call for public engagement and tackling sudden cardiac death. That's from August 26, 2022. Um, so, yeah, and they're calling for more automated external dfibs to be placed in public spaces and shopping centers, stadiums and railway stations. And so it's just funny because, we, I mean, COVID-19 is what, the fourth or fifth coronavirus. And never before have we um, blamed, you know, had something like this happen where it's blamed on a virus. Right. You know, the well, <clears throat> we, I mean, we didn't have, um, you know, long lose before associated with any coronavirus. We right. didn't have you know this influx of strokes and cardiac um, arrests on um, all these deaths, aneurysms on and on. it goes from other yeah. coronaviruses.
0: you know No, it's remarkable, but but the there's another aspect to this, which is <clears throat> excuse me, which is the the again, and we've talked about this, six months ago, the incoherence of official messages. Um, the, the, I think it's the mayor of Chicago um, will, will not allow students uh, any online learning or any, I guess, to attend classes or anything, unless they're vaccinated. Um, and so inner city kids uh, won't even get online education. I don't know the implication of the whole thing, but I'm thinking well, wait a second, um, if everybody's sick, everybody got vaccinated, vast numbers of people got vaccinated, vast numbers of people got sick with this virus. Uh, but so, so the vaccine, ergo, the vaccine didn't work, right? The vaccine clearly didn't work <laughs> because everybody got sick. Um, but we're going to insist that everybody be vaccinated anyway with this vaccine that clearly doesn't work. Um and but I don't hear many people asking that these are kind of fundamental questions, right? You would think. Um it's very strange that that and of course, you know, we see in Germany um the the and Canada, the these are the you know, the the real strongholds of fanaticism about this stuff: New Zealand. Um, we see the the policies continuing uh, to to um, really draconian uh, policies to, to marginalize people who who don't want to get this experimental vaccine. It's <clears throat> it's remarkable. Um, so some countries are relatively progressive about it. Some are medieval and, you know, and that's not even discussed. Nobody, I don't hear in media somebody going, it's very odd that they're insisting on this in Canada when, you know, um, the whole continent of Africa doesn't even have COVID, you know. Mm. You don't get to have those conversations um, in public on the airways. Anyway, okay. Um, Hiroyuki, Rob, Maroon, Corey
2: um i mean this is sort of jumping topics but maybe yeah, this we is called talk about dead air because that's
1: fine
2: <laughs> you guys you, you guys were talking on on telegram back and forth about sort of the indoctrination and on what's happening to people's minds and i i just wanted to talk about briefly about a film i watched this week on um on movie let me just find what it's called here and i want to read this this poem that that was in the film. The film is called Our Defeats. I'm not I'm not even sure if it's on movie and online on um, independent film um, streaming service. Anyway, it's um, basically what, what is it? Arte. Fifty years after May 68, the film May 68. Jean Gabriel Periol collaborated with pupils to reenact films from this revolutionary time. This ingenious exercise becomes a launching pad. For wider reflections on the legacy of leftist ideals, providing an honest insight into a new generation's relationship with um politics. I believe this came out in 2019, and it's just fascinating because of the questions he asks these students with no judgments and the, you know, and the answers that they give, you know, and, and it's you know, it basically these children you know, like you really see the homogenized, not children and young people, you, you can just see how they've been, you know, how the whole class has been homogenized, colonized, indoctrinated and pacified. And I just wanted to read the short little um, text that was in this documentary film by Henrik Heinz. Do you know who that is, John? that not
0: I don't know. Uh-uh.
2: Okay so so he's this is 1828 he wrote this he's a, actually was a friend and a distant cousin of Karl Marx and he had published his poetry in Marx's um journal. Oh okay right, yeah no I yeah okay.
1: Yep. Okay so
2: so this is um what is acted out actually in this film a couple of different times. This will be a fine day cried my traveling companion. Yes, it will be a fine day. silently echoed, echoed my heart, trembling with grief and joy. Yes, it will be a fine day. The sun of liberty will gladden the earth, a new generation will spring up, begotten, free embraced, not in a prison bed, under the control of the clerical warders. This free birth will generate free thoughts of which we born, were born slave, sorry, of which we born slaves have no idea. Oh, little will they imagine how terrible was the night in which we lived, and how cruel was our strife, terrible phantoms, gloomy owls, and hypocritical sinners. And so it's just sort of talking there about, obviously, about um, how we're, you know, so fully indoctrinated, and even more so today. And, you know, just a lot of the questions he puts forward to um, the youth, you know, about what was... You know, um, widely held political ideals of the of the '60s are yeah. are completely gone, right? They're they're just not even there. And what's really interesting about the film, though, is as he um, spends this time with the youth and as he talks to them, you know, as young adults, and um, you know, engages in really important dialogue with them, you can see them becoming. How they're, how they're they sort of awaken to what he's talking about and become really really interested and you can just see how they've basically been left to their own um devices and haven't been taught anything right over the past right. i'm not sure how long i mean people have been busy and the class struggle sort of became forgotten and um the children were left you know to be molded and shaped by corporate corporate domination
0: yeah, <clears throat> no. I mean, um, it's yeah, it's startling, and that we could, we could launch into, and maybe we should um, a, a discussion about education. Um, but but uh, also, I know because Johan and I were talking only about um, AI, and Johan, if you want to jump into that for a
1: second, um, I can, do, can that do that. I but I don't care. Yeah,
0: but whoever else wants.
1: I think I think Varun might have wanted to say something just a minute ago.
3: Yeah, just briefly. I think I mean even with the statistics that 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 you, for example, all the links that you've provided for um, increased mortality because of the because of the shots. The the problem is that when when I present these kind of things to people, it's impossible for them to believe. Any of it, because they're so hooked on to what's on CNN, BBC, and so on and so forth. And then that that it's not even out in the public in this in that sense. And that's what's really scary is that it's all happening while people are living through it, and they're still not being able to see it. They conflate it with um, COVID rather than looking at it in a way where it is only a result of the shots that all these right. defibrillators are on the streets and in malls. And, and you know, like, I, I don't think, I, I keep asking people this question is that just recall your 40, 50, 60 years of life and think of a time when you've seen so many sportsmen or sportswomen die. Mm-hmm. And there is, they don't have an answer to that, but they still refuse to read any of this kind of research, you know? so
0: yeah right. I just wanted to say that yeah. no it's it's remarkable and this is exactly the point again I've been I broach the subject occasionally with people here very occasionally uh, and I can see their eyes glaze over like oh you know Stepling is a conspiracy theorist and we don't want to talk to him uh, Okay, and I, and I just stop because <clears throat> they haven't Heard this kind of criticism of of the official uh, you know uh, the the official state organs of propaganda you know the news media if they don't hear it there if they don't hear it from their politicians then they don't believe it and they don't and criticism is de facto immediately conspiracy theory or you're a crackpot or maybe worse a crazy Marxist of some sort and that is that and. Uh, but, you know, this is a problem we've talked about a lot uh, the general, you know, the, the conditioning that, that people have has, has, you know, created a kind of this intellectual apathy. I want to say one other thing quickly, and then maybe Rob or Hero, you, you jump in. Um, uh, and that is because somebody was this, this whole Matthias Demitz mass formation psychosis thing, mem. Um, is being trotted out all the time and it's not horrible i mean it's extraordinarily superficial and ultimately it's wrong and and i think Demetz is like about on a level with jordan peterson or something but he's okay i mean he says some good things um but 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 he's become one of the go-to sources for people who are a little bit skeptical and critical anyway i was having a conversation and somebody said people you know everybody is just in this psychosis and i said well i want to point out that around the world, there were massive protests against mandatory vaccination. Millions of people were on the street, um, if we look at it globally, protesting this. People did not just out of hand believe it. Lots of people did not believe it. Now, it would be interesting to break down the belief, disbelief um, uh, demographics by class, because I suspect um the more educated white and affluent uh class were the biggest believers and cheerleaders for this um but but the point being that there were there was massive numbers of people who were hugely skeptical and were not sheep and were not fooled for a second you know just as we're seeing finally you know the pro- farmer protests in in the netherlands and so forth we, we'll get to that anyway
4: yeah rob oh i I guess a long time coming, I, well, I guess since at least 2016, but, you know, even before I, 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 it's been a complete mystery to me why, it's one thing to, to believe, you know, that generally speaking, I turn on the news at night uh, or whatever, it's, Jesus, it's, it's, we're way past 1979 now, so the news is 24 hours a day. But I I <laughs> yeah, watch right. the news I watch the news and and um, you know I'm I generally accept that it's uh, well motivated and uh, mostly true. I, but you know this idea of, of accepting that um, I don't understand why people haven't noticed how extremely irrational it has gotten. Um, homogeneously like every single moment of it is like ranting hysterical craziness and but this is accepted as um, completely uh, completely normal as if nothing nothing is like the quality of news media has not radically declined in the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years and people I don't understand why people don't. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are accurately disbelieving it, but but we don't seem to have any contact with them. Everyone we run well, into, two. yeah.
0: Go ahead. Yeah, I, you're also breaking apart for some reason. I don't know if your internet connection is good. At least you are for me. I don't know. Um, but no, this is a good. Point, but this reminded me of something else. I'm not trying to interrupt you, but maybe you can fix breaking apart. Um, uh, and and I was thinking back to when William Buckley debated Gorbatchev and William Buckley, you know, you know, arch crypto Nazi Buckley. Uh, but there was a there was a a level of you know. Um, um, respect and and uh people were articulate and and Gorbachev, you know was remarkable in in that encounter for example <clears throat> but that kind of discourse is gone and and um this brings me to this this topic and i'll just touch on it very quickly of kind of the <clears throat> a certain segment of the left the, the pro-imperialist left the anti-russian left the russophobic left uh, because there was a thread on social media about Russia-Ukraine, just very quickly, that was uh, uh, about Dugan's daughter getting blown up in that, that bomb. And there were a bunch of people cheerleading this. Um, I mean, it was just extraordinary. Uh, and a number of them were uh, noted uh, left commentators <laughs> journalists well-known figures um, at a place i used to write in fact <clears throat> and hiroyuki and and i thought my god this is like barbaric this is this is you this is a a young woman with you know blown apart they a targeted assassination by probably Ukrainian Nazis. And that's okay to you. In fact, you're your applauding it. And then they were ridiculing anybody who questioned that. It was like snarky and aggressive kind of male um, chest thumping. And I thought this, we've gone, you know, we've devolved a great deal. We were spiraling the drain here. Um, because this is uh, what <clears throat> once upon a time everybody would recognize as a, as a barbaric um, sensibility on display and yet these are people who are editors of, of, um, of, of you know, political magazines and stuff. These are people who are supposed to be the intellectual class. It was extraordinary. Anyway, go. I return to you,
4: Rob. Uh, I- hopefully the breaking up is fixed I put these things in my ears okay (laughs) (laughs) it's mystifying I so another example is um, well with COVID now uh, people dying that we know people that we know are seeing people around them drop dead suddenly Um, and but they blame it on COVID They'll they'll make a phone call, I'm talking about my my ex-wife, received a phone call or a message, whatever, from an old friend <clears throat> in Hunter Thompson's home state where I'm from, Kentucky. And uh, oh, I hope you're staying safe down there in Mexico. Uh, got really sad news here. Yeah, a colleague of mine, fifty years old, perfectly healthy, uh, just suddenly died. Damn COVID. You know, uh, <laughs> it's a very highly educated person. Uh, I, 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 why even? Why do I even say highly educated? It obviously is worthless. Like I don't.
0: <laughs> no, but it's it's yeah. that this is this is. Um... This is the, are there, we, people are not questioning these. The media question is, is, um, is, a, is a massive one. Um, Corey, do you have your hand up?
2: Yeah, I have another, you were speaking a mystery, so I have a new mystery here. So on the health and base of the Canadian government that I've been following for a couple of years now from the beginning, um, the deceased in Canada with COVID, not from COVID as of August 26, 22 for ages zero to 11. For some some reason, I mean the last screenshot I have is from the end of March and the number before stayed at around 23 for that and that's terminal illness with COVID. Um, Anyway, all of a sudden today I look and it's gone from 23 to 39 and that's from the end of March to August. So why did that age bracket of children age zero to 11 go from, you know, almost double in in a few months since they've started that um, vaccine for children, right? And then right now, actually live on the news, they have have the health minister speaking about Ontario now expanding COVID-19 booster um, program to children age five to 11, (laughs) so. Yeah, don't ask me, plus I mean it's summertime, why is anyone getting sick at all? Why is anyone right. getting right. a coronavirus at all? So that's <clears throat> crazy. And then at the, um, the Western University in Ontario, a huge university, they took everyone's tuition and then announced afterwards that they were um, going to mandate a third a shot in order to attend university. So there's hundreds of students actually protesting this week at the university against this, and the same thing's happening in Toronto. So they're really, really clinging on to this vaccine mandate.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's, that's, it's that's a lot weren't of... children weren't children relatively immune from COVID? Don't didn't I? Yeah, I mean the
2: whole time. Do I remember that? No one <laughs> disputed that children were virtually at no risk of, from COVID. I mean that was not ever in dispute. Mm-hmm. That was sort of common shared knowledge from the beginning. And actually, they would say, what can we learn from children's immune systems, right? Why they're impervious to um, getting getting sick from COVID. But anyway, yeah, that just goes on and on. And I just think it's shocking that that death um, count with COVID, that has sort of stayed the same since um, this whole thing started back in March of 20. 20- what is it, March 2020 is um, all of a sudden almost doubled in just a few months since they've, um, you know, rolled out the vaccinations for children under uh, emergency order, nonetheless, when there's, uh, you know, when there was no emergency at all for children, I mean, not for anyone, but especially not for children and not for you. Yeah.
0: Um,
5: Hiroyuki. Well, I, I'm just uh, 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 listening to you all. And uh, um, I'm just you know trying hard to uh, um, come up with, with ways to break out of uh, the whole thing. And uh, um, the, um, so I, I guess um, basically uh, what's going on is that we're learning a lot about the uh, Patterns of operations um, um, uh, implemented by the uh, the system. We we know how um, um, so our social institutions are uh, colonized. Our social insti- uh, social relationships are colonized, and our minds and bodies are colonized by the structural um, uh, impediments of the uh, capitalist. Um, hierarchy and uh, and it's everywhere Ev- everywhere we look we can learn it, it the, you know the, there are many many examples of how this works so you know for one thing this is a great time to learn about uh, the capitalist system and uh, um, and i think uh, one thing we can do is reestablish. establish uh, uh, our social relations based on uh, who we are, what's important to us, <laughs> not uh for the uh capitalist institutions and another thing is uh, reestablishment of um, social institutions that actually um, which are based on the interests of the, the the people and uh, both uh has to uh, Uh, have to go together. And the fact that we are learning about all these things uh, that has to go together. And ultimately, um, if we have uh, momentums coming out of those institutions uh, challenging the system here and there and here and there, there could be some momentum, some uh, occasions to uh, overthrow the whole thing, bring about something new that works for the species instead of just for the ruling class of this um, feudalistic uh, hierarchy we have. Um, and I, I, I keep wondering what we can actually do. Uh, for one thing, this podcast has been wonderful. I think you know people. Uh, uh, quite a few people have told me that they they listen to uh, the podcast and they they like what they hear and uh, and I hear those things from people. I I wouldn't have expected um, to hear from um, them say that. So um, that's one thing. And uh, and I think you know we all have interesting life. So we could approach from our specialties, you know, and um, and I try to be as optimistic as as possible. I fantasize all that, and uh, then uh, get back to the reality. And (laughs) it's pretty grim, you know. It's 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 as we are talking about. And um, but then again, you know, it's 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 a proof. You know the proof that the you know the thing is you know that something is awfully wrong. You know,
0: it's um, you know I ne- I never know when when people ask um, well but but you know what what should I do what can we do um, I never have an answer for that exactly because I think it's the wrong question. Finally, mm-hmm. uh, I I think that. You are doing, um, you are doing something we are doing something and uh, the proof of that is that somebody asked you that question, in a sense, Uh, but but it's also, it's also that question smacks of a certain kind of privilege when people say well what you know what should I do. Uh, You know, it, it, it change happens through organization, with desperation. I mean, people that have nothing to lose, lead revolutions, but, but, but change is, is both incremental usually in some fashion or other and, and it's, it's, it's partial and it's, it's piecemeal and, and it's mysterious. Uh, but I know on a certain level, my son Lex works as an activist in los angeles he's going to be on the next podcast oh so great um uh and and you know he's a he's a genius organizer i mean he's great at it i'm shit at organization i can organize getting a play produced and up i'm great at that and but the I, podcast but, and the podcast but i like <laughs> you guys i don't like most people so it's hard for me to go out and and organize and and because I'm not a, you know, I'm not a people person, let's say. Uh, and, and so I'm impatient and, and I find it, a lot of this stuff frustrating. Uh, and, but I, but I think that, you know, Bly used to talk about poetry should never have a mass audience. The goal was not to have a mass audience. It doesn't work that way. I don't think this kind of podcast, I don't think probably the work i i do the writing i do um or what johan does or any of us really maybe to corey is a kind of exception but even there we're talking relatively small audience we're not going to have mass audiences but but that's as it should be i mean this is material the truth needs to be told um the way that we perceive it to be true and often that requires you know, asking difficult questions and providing what you hope are truthful, but they're going to be difficult answers, complex answers. And uh, on that thread where the people were applauding the Dugan's daughter getting murdered, assassinated, I thought these supposed socialists, self-identifying socialists, leftists, have this very Manichean worldview, you know, they're screeching about he's a fascist and no sympathy to fascists. And I thought, you know, that's, that's a fascist idea itself, that kind of good and evil, um, black and white, uh, you know, worldview is, is one of the problems. And how do you How do you talk to people like that? See, I don't know. I can't talk to people like that. And there are so many issues and so many topics that cross-pollinate here that I think there is this crisis in in masculinity in the West. I think, you know, the history of racism, white supremacism, anti-Semitism, all work structurally to, to create these, you know, impulses towards scapegoating and blame um and and there i think those things are important to tweeze apart and to write about and to analyze but millions of people are not going to want to read that so we're at a stage where we're several generations into a screen habituated populace that has been greatly dumbed down but you know, as I said at the beginning, I don't think all hope is lost. Millions of people are on the street protesting. So, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's, um, it shouldn't be looked at as hopeless. Uh, but, but there are problems. There are problems. Okay. Uh, there are a couple of hands, Rob and then Corey.
4: Thought about, um, can you hear me? Yeah. I, I hate to mention it, the name again, uh, Rachel Maddell. Um, has a really outsized impact on millions of people. I don't know about the ratings for her show right now, but, uh, you know, much of the last five or six years, she's had a huge audience. And I see people I grew up with and spent most of my life with. They, I mean, they watch her all the time. You know, uh, family and friends or former friends, former family they, they, and I myself, I'm speaking as a person who long time ago, like early 2000s noticed, cause I'm, I'm addicted to mass media. I used to be, but I, I never look at it anymore, but when I do accidentally run into it, it's horrifying. And Rachel Maddow is a very good example because back during the George W. Bush, or was it can't remember early 2000s you know she had a unique radio show with her unique voice and she was critical of the drift you know her book you know this drift into endless perpetual war and the institutional drift that sort of motivates it and and she was critical of uh, the bush administration and so on and i thought she was an interesting public persona and I enjoyed uh, listening to her show. But what has happened is that um, in the last six years, um, you—if you look at her show, it's—it's it's unbelievable how extremist uh, her show is, her voice, her content. It's—it's—it's. It's, it's, I can't think of the words to describe it. It's so insane, and I think. It, since it has such an impact on so many people, maybe it should be directly addressed, right? I'm, I don't know if anybody's doing that. I mean, occasionally you see a meme making fun of her, but uh, I mean, my God, and you just listen to the ideas that she can face and it's psychotic. And it, maybe we you could somehow address <laughs> it aesthetically and, and get people to look just, prop their eyelids open with toothpicks and force them to look at it as it really is and the effect it has on them somehow this is my wish i don't know
0: yeah yeah um i'm i'm sort of zoom changed their um their protocols and and i get lost here so i'm i apologize if i'm very slow getting to people um Corey. did you have your hand up
2: Yeah, I just want to bring this up before I forget about it. Um, I know I'm sort of jumping around here with the topics, but I just wanted to mention that on the same Canadian website with all the deaths with COVID. um, In the age bracket from 12 years of age to 19, uh, the death to date in Canada, which is 38 million people, is 22. Um, The age bracket 20 to 29 is 142. age bracket 30 to 39 is 331. So that's, um, I think just under 500 in total. And then I just want to, um, talk about how the opioid, um, crisis continues to, you know, skyrocket, accelerate along with the homelessness. And in 2021 alone in Canada, we had almost 8,000 um overdoses and that's one every 40 minutes in Canada and so if you look at that compared to the deaths with COVID you know it's just unbelievable how how the one thing can be can take you know precedence over everything in the world basically and this other thing just goes no one cares right they'll say oh well that's someone's choice but no actually it isn't that's not how addiction works and right. so i just want right. i i just wanted to bring that up because it's something that like literally no one cares about no one talks about it it's huge it's massive again along with homelessness and people it's right. just been normalized right and no one and no one gives a shit.
0: <clears throat> right well yeah i mean both things um we could talk about at, at great length the the um you know whenever i hear people talk about OxyContin and, you know, hillbilly heroin um, because, you know, it kind of replaced the, the, the cooking meth in Appalachia and, and different states in the region, West Virginia and so forth. Um, it, the oxys became the, the, the choice of the poor um, uh, and, and poor whites especially were hit with, with oxy addiction. Um but it reminds me also of the steroid debates. In both cases you want to ask why why it was so much oxy manufactured? Why was so why are so many steroids manufactured, anabolic steroids? The medical uses for anabolic steroids. I've probably said this before the medical uses are minuscule, very, very few. Um uh it it uh in the ones that the medical uses that exist for burn victims and and um children who are growing too slowly stunted um children uh, there are now better treatments than um anabolic steroids but but you know the the pharmaceutical houses continue to produce massive amounts why because there's a huge massive black market for it and gray market for it uh but if somebody's caught with steroids the athlete will be blamed usually poor black uh and you know ben johnson and uh uh he simply got caught but the question is why is it so easy to get steroids why is it so easy to get oxycon Um, you can go to any urgent care center in any big city in america walk in and say you threw your back out uh and i can hardly walk i need some painkillers and they will they will give you a bottle of 100 or something i know and and um nobody talks about that either i mean these are these are drug dealers um essentially but but these are topics that are uncomfortable, and and um, the homeless, the addicted, the the most vulnerable people in society, um, are rarely make good copy um, in the minds of uh, the people who who um, produce Rachel Maddow, for example. You know, it just isn't isn't an interesting discussion. Um, <clears throat> what the U.S. is going to do with the homeless is is a whole interesting question because because the levels now are apocalyptic. Um, and um, maybe Lex will talk next week since he lives in Los Angeles with the the situation there. Um, Okay, um, Varun, Johan? Yeah, I think
1: I have my hand up.
0: Okay, well, see, I can't see your hand anymore.
1: My tiny zone, yellow hands yeah. is yellow on my hand.
0: Okay, I like those little blue hands. Now they're big yellow hands, and I can't see them because they're at all You <laughs> so never mind okay. that.
1: Right? So, so you, you've raised <laughs> a lot of interesting issues, all of you. I think we talked about censorship, about what I would call false consciousness, social engineering, and, and organization, and, and countermeasures. So I thought maybe I could try to... Um, to tie these threads together a little bit because I think there's uh there's what I would call a wicked problem at the heart of, of a lot of these things. Maybe it even connects with addiction issues that we're sort of skirting around. And today I, I was meaning to talk about AI again. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm really sick of that entire topic, which well, it, it's probably a bad thing since I'm I'm currently involved in in two separate research projects on on AI. But you know, I've just landed in this radical luddite position, to be honest, because I don't think it's worth it. I think it's it's useless and it's dangerous for for so many reasons. But anyway, though, th- there's this election coming up in Sweden, the, the parliamentary election, and in the party's positioning in, in the media, I've recently seen this. This horrible confluence of of extremely reactionary policy suggestions in in tandem with a push towards normalization of of mass AI surveillance, which together, I, I think is is really genuinely dystopian. So first of all, the the national security service, our our FBI, you know, has formally asked the Justice Department to to remove legal protections around yours and mine and personal data, because they want to be able to do surveillance operations, especially in digital media contexts, without formal or reasonable suspicion of any wrongdoing whatsoever. And there's also this inquiry, this government parliamentary inquiry around authorizing the police to preventively Perform secret wiretaps and secret search and seizures without any suspicion of crimes committed, without any suspicion of, of crimes being in progress. And the, the very leader of the, the main opposition party, the moderates, the, the right party, he has requested there be punitive measures against uh, people with. Uh, you know perfectly legal yet unwanted associations with extremist or criminal organizations, you know, punitive measures such as the deportation wow. of non-citizens without suspicion, without crimes being committed, you know. And my my real gripe with this, my, my real problem with this is not you know formal legal, but it's it's the indirect effects on the human psyche. And and all, all of you uh, have talked a good deal. About this sort of thing, but I, I got back to, to Michel Foucault's uh, discipline and, and punish. <clears throat> and his main issue with these structures of discipline and surveillance was the internalization of the watcher, of the guard. You become your own prison guard, the worker becomes his own scab. Sort of, I would say, the, the hijacking of the person's superego by by capital or uh, the state. And back then Foucault talked about you know pseudo voluntary conformism to behavioral norms you know surface level stuff, but what I think is the end point of, of this much much more intrusive surveillance than I think Foucault ever imagined, especially in relation to the spectacular mass media and all of that. Uh, the end point I think is this radical conformism of thought that you are are bearing witness to today all the time the implanting of this you know self-policing behavior even in our own private reflection in our communal collective thinking and dialoguing with each other you know because the the kitchen table discussions have been transplanted to facebook almost all private conversations are subjected to this this field of surveillance they, they take place on the platforms or they interact with the platforms in some way or another if you, if you say something to a person it's going to indirectly re- re- end up on the platform in some way or the other and and i right. think this is profoundly disruptive of, of, of the human psyche because it does Foucault's right that you know the superego can be hijacked and i, I think this these forces very effectively will implant this self censorship through these processes.
0: Um, <clears throat> I think I think this is a, you know an important topic, and I mean obviously I've written some about this, and, and as have you, and and um, you know different theorists have, have posited that all that is left. If we're talking in Freudian terms, is a is an incredibly sadistic super ego yeah. um, that the ego has shrunk to nothing. I mean, Russell Jacoby, the much neglected Russell Jacoby, wrote about this thirty years ago. Um, the, the beginnings of, of this trend, and I and I think it's it's true now. But that surveillance, the internalizing of uh, of of you know, a, a surveillance state in which you know you're being watched by somebody, an authority. So people have, even when presumably they assume they're not being watched, they behave as if they're being watched. They yeah. people increasingly perform the role of themselves as as innocuous, as innocent, as as you know. As somebody who will not stand out, and that's the that's the hyperconformism you're speaking about in a sense. I think it's it's uh, people are aware of it, and you know they they carry the uh, an internal panopticon in their in their brain in which the you know the 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 various um, geometries of of guilt and shame and virtually everything um are are played out i mean that that's the calculus that's the that's the private calculus that goes on all the time with people i think we've gone from a society in which people identified with what they bought the the super shopper i am I am what I am able to purchase. I am the commodity that I purchase, and then I became the commodity. People purchase themselves, or other people purchase, and that's social media in a sense, or one element of it. To now, I am, you know, I I am the potential prisoner or something, and and I must I must uh, perform some kind of calculus that will allow me to get through the day. Um, because I must be guilty of something I mean that's a, a, a massive topic guilt anyway mm. but you know post postmodern guilt um, but I but I think it's you know when I start having when I start talking about this I realize I'm talking about the United States more than anywhere else um, because it is the carceral state you know incarnate it is the it is the, 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 the and people don't realize this it is the great we have the united states has we um the u.s has more prisoners per capita and in real numbers than any country in the world it also has the worst prison conditions in the world it also has the most um corrupt criminal justice system you know possibly in the world uh, uh there was just another man released the chicago detective that i said how many people that cases were overturned just from this one detective 37 or something um men who were on death row some of them for capital crimes all invented by this corrupt cop the police have enormous power so yeah um couple that to this discussion of ai uh which yeah i am sick of too but i daily face uh, Automation—the absurdity of automation today. I mean, um, it—it—it—it—and—and and it doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work. I don't know how many, how much time I spend <clears throat> uh, with with digital services that don't work every day, but but quite a bit badly designed web pages, um, net banking that doesn't work, you can't log on, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I just, I want to return to horses, get rid of electric cars, internal cars. I just want to go horses and you know, carrier pigeons. I'll write my essay and send it by carrier pigeon to all of you. Um, uh, Varun and then Hiroyuki. Yeah,
3: I was just thinking it's such a bad mix um, of. Uh, this inner critic that has been colonized by the establishment AI that's being centered around preemptive crime fighting and I mean if you put all of that together that's like a that's like a free pass like I think we were talking about that's like a free pass for the pass for the establishment to do exactly what they want with whoever they want at any time that they want to and that's Uh, this kind of surrendering of the will let's say that I mean if we talk about self-discipline that has been taught in um, a lot of mystical traditions or even orthodox traditions tribals and things like this of how to command yourself in the world in nature and so on that that kind of thinking pattern has been completely conformed to establishment rules. So there is no real negotiation of person to person. There is first a negotiation of person to establishment and then to person in that sense. So that that filter is is already in in the hand uh, of the powers that be. And they're just translating that into a really monstrous, highly efficient neurotic way of thinking basically, which is going to be AI. And that's yeah. and like, and we've been, I think, uh, just had one thing we, we've spoken about this is that it actually doesn't work. And that's actually even a lot scarier than if it actually did work efficiently, right? Like, that's yeah. that's
2: yeah. really scary to think about.
0: Well, I think we were talking earlier on on Messenger, I guess it was a Telegram or one of the, about uh, influencers the invention of influencers and the transitory nature of influencers they come and they go and that in some sense they have replaced um in, in in many traditional religions it's almost in a sense you know for tibetan buddhists they they have replaced the dakinis or something you know we have an influence it's transitory and empty but but that that is that is their role, in a sense, and it there's nothing else. I mean, the system has has worked and and this is part of the goals of algorithms. I think mean, the system has worked over time to empty meaning from people's lives. No family, no union, no community, no tradition. you you just have empty electronic pulses or something. and so whatever whatever transitory, ephemeral image appears you worship that i guess um hiroyuki yeah i oh no go ahead Varun. i'm sorry i just see all these yellow hands man i'm no i was just i
3: was just gonna quickly add one thing was that i mean it's also destruction of meaning making mythology
1: yeah
3: because now the meaning making mythology belongs belongs to celebrities it doesn't belong to the transcendent anymore like we've spoken about this, I think, but there is no escape from the self-referential loop of the spectacle anymore. That's what's happening on social media, I think, right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's very good. That's very good. Hiroyuki?
5: Well, I just wanted to repeat that, uh, what Johan and uh, uh, John uh, We're saying uh, the uh, the the how uh, uh, the authority has been uh, uh, internalized, and uh, we've talked about this topic over and over. And um, it's it's really profound that we have digitalization, digitalization of ourselves uh, that prompts uh, this condition. It uh, internalizes authority, and the commodification of the people this also does the same thing and also incarceration uh, those things they all do the same thing and it's it's um there there's this answer to the question why are we so uh obedient and complacent Uh, because of this this is uh there are many many factors pushing this authority into uh our psyche, the uh, super ego is completely colonized, uh colonized by the uh, capitalist system. And the AI uh augments this situation. So um um yeah I, I thought uh it, it was very very insightful um uh
3: remarks by by you two thanks man. I'll just add really quick. Also, that I mean. Thank come on. you.
0: Um, you know, I want to <clears throat> mention. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Please. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, man. I, just... <laughs> I can't see anybody
0: at once in this new system. No, yeah. please. No, go on. No, go I just
3: on. I. I think I mentioned on on the Telegram channels. So it's it's not just that people became walking advertisements for brands, but now that people can buy each other, right? And that's
1: okay.
3: two, two people now. Um, I think from the U.S. somewhere. I can post that link, I'll find it. But they have just floated the idea of how possible it would be to buy shares in people, like invest in people in that sense. So I like to buy shares in a personality. And these two tech bros are kind of floating that idea. And that is, I mean, I think that it doesn't, I don't know how worse it gets from that point where you're saying, okay, now you can, you know, I don't understand where you go from that, to be honest with you. (laughs)
1: For sure. um, Let me raise yeah. my hand. And...
0: Okay, that's okay. what you have to do. You have to say, "I'm raising my hand, Stepling." <laughs> okay, your is it my
1: turn. Oh, yeah, thanks, Matt. So, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, this is very insightful, I think, because you know the there is some sort of symbolic surveillance in the very presence of a spectacular mass media because it constitutes reality as something we primarily access through media. And I think the institution of the influencer is important here. You know the role of the media personality as both commodity and and ideal for for young children to to grow up and and become. And the thing is to connect back to what John said earlier. If if you internalize this experience of surveillance into everyday communications, to talking to friends and and. And family, and and furthermore, then also into your own internal dialogue, which is always, you know, predicated on the form and, and character of the communication you normally know, the experience, then you know the experience of guilt and shame will come to be associated with thoughts and ideas that you come to connect to 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 um, well wrong think. And a key reason that this is even possible is precisely as as Varun says, because the tools for meaning making have been appropriated by capital by the system, so there is no leverage to 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 break apart this this panopticon that's been been constructed.
0: Um, I'm going to provide in the link. Uh, the links when when we post this um bernard a link to bernard harcourt's book on um algorithms and policing the case against it it's it's really excellent and he teaches i think at Columbia. i'm not sure but it's a very good book and exactly about the the problems um one can see looming uh in the future okay um uh rob you have your hand up see I, I saw it, I have yeah, to scroll yeah, yeah. to spot people. Okay, Rob, and then we're gonna have like final thoughts or something
4: maybe? Okay, okay. Uh, this AI, um, what was this idea at this conference we went to in Uppsala where AI could be uh, legally, uh, could legally, what's the phrase here? Uh, be defined person, personhood. As person, yeah, personhood. As a person yeah. or partial, a partial person or something. Yeah. And if that's the case, like, should the AI then be mandated to be jabbed and wear a mask? <laughs> uh, but particularly well, you know, if it travels.
0: Um, you know that probably somebody will 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 find a way to suggest that. Actually, I mean, um, <laughs> and I just okay. uh, just to um,
4: follow. follow. Oh, yeah, I just follow on that real quick. Um, You know, we all grew up with um, this relationship to drug dealing, Uh, whatever our relationship to it was individually, you know, it was always portrayed as something negative. Uh, You didn't wanna have too many drug dealers around you. But nowadays, the the obvious reality is that uh, the government, like all of government at every level and all of the media and all of the corporations and all of the academia, <clears throat> uh, they seem to be functioning like as if that's their job, that's their only role is to push drugs, right? Mm-hmm. They're just a pimp for uh, for jabs and for, you know, pharmaceuticals, you know, unlimited pharmacy for pharmaceutical pimping, that's their role. But you know know, that's that's not even that's not enough now. Uh, So back to the AI thing. So I grew up in this, uh, you know, my in my working life, whatever, uh, designing. You know, I was in the building design and construction field, and in the mid to late nineties, I got into this tech, you know, obsession with because I had tools in software that let me do really to me they were delightful things i could i could make digital models of buildings that we were designing and then i could like spill simulated light into them and let them st- you you could literally figuratively that is uh bounce photons of light around in space and illuminate these things right so The idea there was, it was attractive, you know, but now I look at people in this field and I see what they're talking about on say LinkedIn where I follow these conversations and it's all the use of tech now has gotten to this point. They'll show a photograph of a pile of some junk that somebody uh, dumped in a field. Let's say some 50 year old window sashes that somebody just dumped. Uh, unauthorized right and improperly and the discussion is gee if we had a digital twin of absolutely every component of everything that is ever used by anyone for any purpose then if you ever see some illegal dumping then the police could be called and somebody could be arrested and this would be a great thing. And we should all spend our lives now making sure that everything has a digital twin. Every component is mapped and tracked forever. So you, we could be in a world where if you know, some 30-year-old paint can gets thrown away and ends up somewhere and somebody sees it, the cops come and take you away and that would be this is the ultimate use of technology so i'm ready to just throw it all, throw all of these devices away this may be the last time i talk to you right and uh (laughs) just forget all of this
0: but i think the thing that that i always come back to when when you know these kinds of discussions take place and these kinds of examples take place is um how badly this stuff works I mean i just keep emphasizing that my experience is that none of it works very well um and there was a leading former i think fbi um pretty high-ranking <clears throat> officer who was retired who said oh yeah um facial recognition pretty much doesn't work at all unless you're standing still and staring at the camera if you are moving and You know, you get three quarters of a face for two seconds. It simply doesn't work. It's akin to phrenology, flipping a coin. It doesn't work. Uh, But again, you know, Hollywood, Hollywood has built an entire reality that people accept as um, uh, as truthful um, around the infallibility of, of AI, the infallibility of technology, the character of the computer genius who solves all these problems magically as he types at his keyboard. Everything is solved by that new priest of the cybersphere. Um, okay, I wanted—I said I wanted to read a paragraph to you. Uh, so I'm going to read it now. And, um, <laughs> and then you'll probably figure out who it is, but it's an interesting paragraph. So quote, <clears throat> a point to be noted, is that in this respect, Mr. Churchill and his friends, that's Winston Churchill, and his friends bear a striking resemblance to Hitler and his friends. Hitler began his work of unleashing war by proclaiming a race theory, declaring that only German-speaking people constituted a superior nation. Mr. Churchill set out to unleash war with a race theory. Asserting that only English speaking nations are superior nations who were called upon to decide the destinies of the entire world. The German race theory led Hitler and his friends to the conclusion that the Germans, as the only superior nation, should rule over all other nations, the English race theory leads Mr Churchill and his friends to the conclusion that the English speaking nations as the only superior nations, should rule over the rest of the nations of the world. Actually, Mr. Churchill and his friends in Britain and the United States present to the non-English speaking nation something in the nature of an ultimatum. Accept our rule voluntarily and then all will be well. Otherwise, war is inevitable. But the nations shed their blood in the course of five years fierce war for the sake of liberty and independence of their countries and not in order to exchange the domination of the Hitlers for the domination of the Churchills. It is quite probable, accordingly, that the non-English speaking nations, which constitute the vast majority of the population of the world, will not agree to submit to a new slavery. Close quote. Okay, mm. who was that? That was Stalin. <gasps> mm. Um, In an interview he gave, uh, I believe, uh, in yeah, an interview with Pravda. Nice. Uh, so that's why they don't go. like him. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a barbarian huh
2: john okay. I, have some, I have something to follow up on that it it fits right in yes. about about what you were saying which was i keep coming back and thinking about it all the time when you um basically voiced um where you opposed the totalitarian um label as you know what everyone was using to describe um, everything happening anyway, and it, it goes in with what you're saying here. So this is from um, Marxist.org. It's a it's written I think in 1984. Reflections on anti-communism. i was just reading it um, because of all the all the strange references now that we see today towards like Trudeau being a communist and everything else.
4: Right. Let,
2: let me just find it here. Give me one sec. Um, Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, dead air, dead air, dead air, dead air, dead air. Okay, <laughs> okay, one more. Where is it? Okay. Next one. The totalitarian label is part of ideological warfare in another way as well, insofar as it covers both communist and fascist fascist regimes and is thereby intended to suggest that they are very similar systems. More specifically, the suggestion is that communism and Nazism are more or less identical. This may be good propaganda, but it is very poor political analysis. And anyway, that's just from this really interesting article I was reading about this um, new um, anti-communism uptake that we're seeing all over the place over the past two years
0: yeah um that's great and you know i i should probably provide the link um to the enzo traverso interview where he talks about the word totalitarian you know the conclusion being it's come to be synonymous with enemy of the west Mm. um and and but but he has a more nuanced take in that whole paragraph um yeah uh you, we're seeing a proliferation, and I always wonder if these people are not psyops of some sort. A proliferation of an anti-communist left. Neil Oliver, <clears throat> um, um, uh, what's his name? Patrick, whatever his name is, I can never think of his last name. People who say very good things often, and then you know we have people like the Amazing Polly, and, and all of these odd people at the Academy of Ideas were like Laroucheites or something. Who knows what they are? But they're they're slightly ominous and disturbing to me because they do say a lot of correct things, but they always have profoundly reactionary, anti-Marxist, anti-communist, anti-socialist conclusions. And they end up being, positioning themselves as the enemy of an Evo Morales or a Fidel Castro or a Hugo Chavez or a Maduro or anybody they that's the end point for those people and and so I don't know what to do with them sometimes um, in the great scheme of things okay last thoughts quickly cuz this has been long Hiroyuki
5: well I I really think I uh, uh, agree that the uh, the the w- we have we ha- we we hear that all the time, anti-communist, anti-socialist um, uh, uh, rhetoric everywhere, and uh, I think it totally makes sense. You know, we we are bombarded w- with um, those options when we want options. So you know, and there's no options to uh, overthrow the whole thing. You know, the idea is totally demonized, and uh, so it, it it makes sense, and it, it's very frustrating that. Um, we keep you know running across that you
0: know yeah yeah Yeah. no um a long time ago had an article um on the the anti-communist left and you see it with the people at counterpunch now you see it you know that that really are more concerned with what they term russian imperialism the non-existent russian imperialism than they are with u.s imperialism and somebody wrote a great Piece and I have to dig it up now. That said, um, if if you don't take sides um, in the Russia-Ukraine conflict, it is de facto support for U.S. NATO for that side, and that's really the truth. If you if you if you don't get that, then your politics are you're very politically immature. I think. Okay. Um, very quick. Last thoughts. Anybody? Corey Johan. Yeah.
3: Okay,
1: go oh, ahead. Oh,
4: everybody else. Don't get <laughs> one.
3: <Sorry>. Go on, <laughs> on your go on.
1: I'll, I'll finish. Okay, myself. it's a short quote which I would like to take to you from um, on, on the panopticism issue. And and I think there's a connection to propaganda here. And I I would be happy if you would would think about the connection because I think it's there, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. So here he it goes, it's from Discipline and Punished by Foucault. Hence the major effect of the panopticon to induce in the inmate a state of conscious and permanent visibility that assures the automatic functioning of power. So to arrange things that the surveillance is permanent in its effects, even if it is discontinuous in its action, that the perfection of power should tend to render its actual exercise unnecessary that this architectural apparatus should be a machine for creating and sustaining a power relation independent of the person who exercises it. In short, that the inmates should be caught up in a power situation of which they themselves are the bearers. Thank you.
2: Yeah, great. Baru?
3: Yeah, I was just gonna say, I think, um, largely the arguments become how to rectify the system that becomes one conversation. And then, like the people that you were naming before, and I got thinking, is that is it that we're trying to rectify the systems, or are we supposed to be rectifying our relationships with society? Because what the expectations right now, I think, are that the systems that exist will allow us to keep the things the way they are in our own lives without shaking the boat. And mm. also, help everybody else. But it can never work like that, I think. And in the sense that things have to change in personal lives. And that's a very difficult conversation to have with people in general, I think.
0: All right. But, the, but, but, that's, but that's, I mean, that's very astute in a way. I mean, you articulated that perfectly because that's, when psychoanalysis traveled to the United States, it became an adjustment discipline. The, the, it would, Freud wanted and his circle wanted to relieve suffering that was the, the you know baseline um, when it got to the United States the baseline was make your life work better Yeah. adjust mm-hmm. adjust yeah. and your life will work better yeah. so it was adjustment therapy and that is where it has stayed largely and mm. um and and that I think is significant okay um Thank you everybody. I just I can't uh I've got to familiarize myself with the zoom again. Um I got so confused tonight. Okay, thank you, uh Corey Morningstar, Hiroyuki, Varun, Johan, and Rob, all of you guys, thank you so much. And um thanks to Jack Littman in Los Angeles, as always. I want to thank Jessica Close, as always now. Um For help with research, and um, and I'll see you guys all in a couple weeks, probably. Yeah.
5: See you. Take care. Thank you, John. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Bye.